I invite you to open in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and I'll, I'll read a few verses from, uh, from last week where we were into uh, this week for context. In Mark chapter 9, we'll be looking at verse 33 and forward. And they came to Capernaum, and when they were in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. Because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will soon be able afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of cold water to drink uh, because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Thanks be to God for this word. And this morning, we are going to look, uh, beginning of verse 36 through uh, 40. Last week, we looked at 33 and 34. But they're, they're connected. And in here, we're going to see a few connections that people have, uh, connections identifying them with Jesus. And in, out of that identity with Jesus, changes personal interactions around them. Three connections we'll see this morning. The first is the person who receives him. The second connection is the person that is for him. And the third is the person who belongs to him. These are not three distinct people. They are one, but they are described in three connecting ways to Christ. The first connection is found in verse 36 and 37. There, because they had been arguing about who was the greatest, and he was pointing to them uh, who who, bel- who wanted to be the greatest? The greatest in God's kingdom is the one who is servant, like the master. And then he takes a child and puts them in the midst of them. And, and he takes his child in his arms. And he said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And so the first connection there is the person who receives him. The person who receives him, and it's incredible to see how that relationship of a person who receives Jesus, it changes how they interact humanly. So they will, his example with this child is the least of these, right? You're going to receive people who cannot contribute to you. You're going to receive people who are needy. You're going to receive people who don't know everything you know, who don't have the power that you have, who cannot match you, who cannot even serve you. Because how many people, that you know, when we're seeking out relationship, you just want to go to the neediest person you can find. You're going to go to the person that's just going to drain everything out of you. 
The person that depends on you for every last thing and who doesn't get it tomorrow. When you're pursuing relationships, you're very likely not pursuing that other than children because you know, Lord willing, they will grow out of that. Sure, their neediness changes when they're adults. We get it, those of you who have grown children. But it's different than the neediness and the dependence of a child. But here, Jesus is saying, a person who receives me is a very person who receives the lowliest of the low, the one who does not and cannot contribute to them, the one who is immature in their faith, immature in their life. This is the person who you receive because you have received me. That's the relationship that you have with, with Jesus is going to transform the relationship you have with those around you. And it's interesting because Jesus says, whoever receives me, receives not me. Not, and he's saying, not just me as a man, not just me because you can see me and I'm a friend to you and I'm near to you. That's not why you're receiving me, is what he's saying. He's saying, you are receiving him who sent me. You are receiving God. That, that's what it means to receive. He's not saying, we're friends because you like me. Or you're, we're friends because I can contribute to you at this moment. He's literally pointing out, in, in their receiving of him, it is a, a, a challenge to receive those who are not going to contribute to you at all. So his, his talking about the person who receives him, a person is one who receives God. God himself, the one who isn't near to him, who doesn't maybe give him a physical crutch, the one who isn't going to be there to heal all his diseases all the time in front of him or encourage him or wrap his arm around him. But the one who receives Jesus is the one who does, in fact, receive God, ultimately. And this reception, this receiving of God, transforms the way we think and receive other people. Those who cannot contribute. Those who are needy. Those who are immature. It's incredible to see how he stoops. Because you think of culturally, right? And there's other times where the disciples try to shoo off the children. They're inconveniences at this point. They're kind of hindering what the disciples want to do. Like, they're going to hold us back. And Jesus says, no, welcome them. Draw them near. They are needy indeed, but they need the kingdom. And it's not just speaking of, obviously, little children, but speaking of those who are immature in the faith and how you need to call them in to your relationships and, and bring them with you as hard as it will be. As Now it's slower, you know, it's going to be slower to read the Bible with a person who's never read it before. It's going to be slower to read through numbers with a person who hates the Old Testament. It's going to be slower. It's going to be harder. It's going to be more inconvenient in every way. But we ought to do it. Because how in the world are they supposed to learn to read? How in the world are they supposed to learn to walk? But by one who will stoop and say, I receive them. I receive them into my life and into my world to inconvenience me. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He came and was completely inconvenienced in the greatest of ways so that we might have a relationship with him. We might be nearer to God. We might be drawn near to God. Well, in the same way, we extend that to others, not just children. Not just children to, to go and teach Sunday school or help in Sunday school. That is necessary. Kids need to hear uh, the word of God broken down in bite-sized pieces in easy-to-understand ways. But that's also the case with adults. 
It is the case with adults, but how patient are you with an adult? You say, I got things to do. I got deep theology to study. I don't have time for frivol you know, frivolous reading or shallow reading. No, we need to take that time. We need to receive them. It transforms the way we receive others. And we look at the second connection. Now, the first one is the person who receives him. So this helps us to then receive others. But the second connection is the person that is for him. An interesting account there beginning in verse 38 where John, uh, he, he tells Jesus, maybe proud, right? Like, oh, Jesus, you should see what I did. I, I stopped this guy, right? He says, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Aren't you proud of me? I try to stop him. Like, yeah, he's not, he's not with us. And so I try to stop him. And Jesus says, don't try to stop him. Which, it is shocking to me too. Because you think, wait, like, I get where John's coming from. I get where John's, like, how can you confirm if that man's this, this, or this? And so I get where John's coming from. But Jesus says, do not stop him. And it, he gives very specific uh, reasons why. For the one who does a mighty work in my name... Uh, will be able, uh, will be able soon afterward. They will not, sorry, be able to speak evil of me. And I still struggle with that because I'm just like, well, I know that there are people who do works in Jesus' name, but are wicked people. They are false teachers. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are people who, on the outside, would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a preacher, even, but they're doing it to get money, or they're doing it to get fame and fortune. Like, and you think. They're doing it in Jesus' name. And Jesus here says, if they're doing things in my name, they won't soon be able to speak evil of me, which is true. The prosperity gospel teachers are not speaking evil of Jesus. They're just using Jesus to accomplish their end. But is that the kind of person that's being spoken of here? John says, we saw someone who was not following us. Someone who wasn't in our tight-knit circle." And maybe someone who wasn't even in the expanded circles, people he's seen hanging around lately. He says, I saw someone doing, uh, casting out demons in your name. Now, think of what just happened very shortly before this. The disciples were trying to cast out a demon, and they could not. And so then here, there's this other man, this rogue guy, casting out demons in Jesus' name. And is there jealousy on John's part? Like, he's not with us, and he's doing it, and... I, stop, I try to stop him because clearly, you know, we need the special sauce and I'm not sure if he's got it. So I try to stop him. But there's likely a hint of jealousy in John. He's not with us. He's not, he's not part of our group. But then you have the struggle to go, well, what does it mean for them, him to not be following us or with us? And that's my struggle with false teachers or, or harmful teachers because Scripture doesn't just say, well, let them be. There is countless, I could have quoted them all, but it would have taken an hour. Countless passages which talk about calling out false teachers. Don't just allow them to keep on going. No, Ephesians 5.1 says, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. Expose those kind of works. And then in 2 Peter 2 verse 1, it says this, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And so there is, in, in and even among the people, those who are false teachers, who have destructive heresies, some who are wolves in sheep clothing. But notice what's pointed out about this man. He was doing what the disciples did. He was doing what they did. So they were casting out demons. He was casting out demons. And he was doing it in the same way. The disciples did it in Jesus' name, and he did it in Jesus' name. And he did it for the same goal. The goal was deliverance from the enemy and a soul freed to live for Christ. And this was the same thing that he did. Both the disciples and this man were doing the same thing in the same way for the same reason. So that's why Jesus says, don't stop him. They were not doing it in a way that was uh, twisted or even their own alteration, something that we may be skeptical, or you may question, what's the motive behind that? He, you know, they weren't trying to add anything else. He wasn't speaking here of a false teacher. He wasn't doing different things. He wasn't saying, well, I'm going to invent something new and do it in Jesus and say that I'm a Christian because, hey, that's currently really popular right now, so let me try to do this. He was doing exactly as he had seen done. And he did it in not a different way. Not a different formula. Not a different type of ministry. Not uh, with a script or without Jesus. He didn't do it not for Jesus' glory. He didn't do it from his own power. And he didn't do it for different reasons. He wasn't out there, according to this passage, trying to have financial gain. He didn't do it for popularity. He didn't do it to build his own kingdom. He didn't do it for his own glory or face on the cover of a hundred books. He didn't do it for that. But is that the case with many of the false teachers today? Many of those false prophets who rise among even those in the church. That's where we draw the difference. Because someone claims to be doing things as a Christian ministry does not mean that we can just give him our full stamp of approval because Jesus says, don't stop them. If he's doing things in Jesus' name, don't stop them. No, that's where discernment comes in. Are they doing things in the way that Jesus did them? Uh, are they doing things in the, in the same way and for the same goal? That's where we can use these filters to discern whether we stop someone and expose them or whether we say, they're different than me and they're not, they're not with me and... and I might not have even known them before now, but it doesn't mean I'm to stop them. It doesn't mean I would do things that way or, or even in that style. But I don't stop them because um, that's where discernment comes in. And, and it's really difficult. But does that mean we don't warn people of other things? Because I'm not really sure. No, we warn. Of course we do. Scripture tells us that. We have many warnings in Scripture about the wolves in sheep's clothing. Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, look like a sheep, but inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. They come to destroy you. They come to rip you apart or use you for their gain. That is not 
what Christ desires. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So there, we talked about this at Bible studies, having that filter, having that doctrine you've been taught, having the unity of mind, making sure you know what you believe and, and gather with those who know what they believe. And so live life together with, with a doctrine that you can defend together, that you can stand up for. Because it says um, those are creating obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid these people. For such person, it carries on in Romans 16, 18, for such persons do not serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. They're wolves. Or in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15, for such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, but their end will correspond with their deeds. We ought to have that filter, that understanding of, well, what is true? How do we discern who to stop and who to go, I've never seen you before, but seems like you're doing things in a way that is honoring to God with the same end goals that we have, just differently. And that's where church denomination, because a million, you know, someone can view from the outside and say, well, why is there so many denominations? Why is there so many different types of churches? Why are there so many millions of different branches inside the umbrella of Christianity? And even within Baptists, why is there a million different kinds of Baptists? Or, or why don't you all agree on the same things? And so it's really hard because then you say, well, is this those examples where we say, well, we don't stop them because they're doing things uh, for Christ, in, in, for his glory, in, in a way that honors him, but just differently than us? Or is there ones where it is, they need to be stopped, they need to be exposed, they need to be warned. And that's where discernment comes in. And that's where Jesus is saying, like, it's so interesting because he says, don't stop them in verse 39. For no one who does this mighty work in my name will soon afterward be able to speak ill of me. So what he's saying, because then, you know, it was very popular during that time to call on any sort of gods. Well, what's going to work? Let me try this, try that, try this. And he's saying, like, if someone's even doing it deceitfully and they experience the power that I'm going to do through them, that I will do through them, they will not be able to speak evil of me. He says, they, though, who, who could be speaking evil of me are ones who, by their own power, or by the power of the demonic world, they indeed could speak evil of me. But that's where I think Christ is, in a sense, also saying, like, you don't know whether I'm at work in them or not at work in them. So you take the filter I've given you, the discernment I've given you, the doctrine I've given you, the teaching I've given you, and you can say either immediately expose them and call them out, or don't stop them, sit back and see what I will do. And so it's really, it's a hard task. But yet, here, this second connection, he says, it goes for there, uh, verse 41, oh uh, no, 40, the one who is not against us is for us. The one who is not against Jesus, he says, is for me. There is very interesting though, because it has a, the, 
very distinct, the same as the hot or cold. You're either hot or you're cold. You're not lukewarm. You cannot be, well, I don't know if I'm really for Jesus or I don't really know if I'm against Jesus. There's no middle ground. It is either you are for him or you are against him. You are against him. And if you are against him, you are in danger. So here he's saying, there's a person who is, if they're not against me, they're for me. And I think there's a lot of people in this world who think, I can, I can be fine in the gray area where I'm not really sure about Jesus. Jesus does not allow that. He does not allow someone to say, well, I'm not fully for you, but I'm kind of here. That's not an option. If you are not for Jesus, you are not with Jesus. You are against Jesus. We know what scripture says about the enemies of God. They need to be reconciled. They need to be made right with him. And they are made right through Jesus. They receive him. And then they're for him. And that's the person then who is transformed to uh, be growing in their relationship with others. And, and then third, the person who has received him, who is for him, is a person who belongs to him. Verse 41, he goes on, and it kind of seems disconnected. Because he says, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, and you wonder, like, why the mention of a cup of water? Why the mention of this when John's talking about a guy exercising demons? Just come out of this conversation about receiving children or the immature, and then now John now is being corrected to now receive someone that he maybe didn't know, but someone who is obviously for Jesus. But now this mention of the person who gives you a cup of water to drink, why did they do it? Jesus points out something here that a person, because you belong to Christ, because you belong to Christ. So it's a, it's a brother. It's someone who says, because I belong to Jesus, and oh, they belong? I need to extend to them mercy, hospitality, whatever I can give. Obviously, here the example is, the cup of water. It is an act of mercy. It is a coming down to a person in desperation, a person in need. And so here he says, they do it because you belong to Christ. There is a love that is brotherly. And he says, very interestingly, at the end of verse 41, this person who does that will by no means lose his reward. He won't lose his reward. But what is that? His reward, what is the reward? Actually, the reward is Christ. And you'll never lose your reward. If you are in Christ, your reward is sealed and certain until the day of redemption. You will never lose Christ. And here he's pointing that a person who belongs to Jesus, it does things for others in mercy. They accept others in grace. And they stoop to others, though they would not normally Interestingly enough, this reward is not, and that's the thing. Obviously, in Scripture, there is, um, it's kind of like with consequences. There is earthly consequence. Yes, those who are apart from Christ will spend eternity in hell, and those who are in Christ will spend eternity in heaven, but there's still earthly consequences. You do a good thing, there's good reward. You do a bad thing, you go to jail. There's earthly consequences that are good and right and glimpses of the justice in the heart of God. That happens too. And so here, this reward is not limited to an eternal reward, but um, it is the heart of it. The reward that will not be lost is Christ. 
And this is the person who is merciful to others. This is the person who, out of um, love for those people, it, it will, will care for them. Like, as John was trying to push out this man, because he was not following them, he wasn't aware of them, he said, like, if you're aware, if you have discerned that he is indeed a brother, like, stoop. Meet his needs. Help him where you can. Don't hinder him. That's what happens when you have this connection, this relationship to Jesus, is you, you stoop for the immature, you stoop for the one you don't even know, and then you stoop for a brother. This is the person who is connected with Jesus, is one who stoops, who comes down. The one who does not think more highly of himself than he ought. The one who comes down to a different level in order to connect with those who he may not have. Interesting because John was a part of that discussion. That's who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus is the one who stoops. The one who comes down. The one who it takes time for the immature. The one who takes time to discern a brother and to not hinder a brother. The one who, now you, he's like teaching a lesson to give a cup of water to someone because they belong to Christ. This belonging to Christ, this being for Christ, this receiving Christ is the connection to Christ. And what's interesting, Lee, is even though this interacts with every human react, uh, um, relationship, the center is still Jesus, still all about Jesus. And that's what's incredible about this and all of our relationships is they are not meant for our benefit. The, the filter in all of it and how you relate to people is like, well, what does this do for my relationship with Jesus and how is Jesus served and glorified through this? Rather than, because that's not, Jesus' whole um, uh, discussion about that man was not like, oh, well, well if you're offended, John, or if, if you want to do something different, John, it was, he won't be against me. He won't be against me. He, he is for me. He is mine. And so it's incredible to see the, the, the focus of Jesus here in this passage is the person who receives him ultimately receives God. The question is, if we have received God, how does that impact your relationship? Do you think of that? Or do we just go, I'm just going to do what's comfortable in my relationships. I'm going to pursue friends that I'm similar to. I'm going to um, not do hard things. I'm going to avoid people who are weird Christians. That's the beauty of a church. Because people who try to avoid weird Christians are by themselves, and if they look in the mirror, there's a weird Christian there. But the part and the beauty of the church is the diversity of people. And that's what speaks bounds to people looking in saying, like, why do you hang out with that person? Like, you are not like them at all. Like, they're 70, and you're... 30. They like knitting and you like race cars. Like, how come you're friends? Uh, one of the most beautiful pictures, I've, I've heard this story, um, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, uh, Pastor Mark Dever, he, he tells stories of when older saints of their church will have died and gone on and the funeral is flooded with young people from the church and the family's like, wait, wait, who are you? And they'll be like, oh, well, I had your grandma over for mac and cheese in my college dorm last week. And they'll be like, why? Because, because we are family in Christ and we love one another. And like the families, he says, 
every single funeral of an older saint in our church, the families are blown away by the family of God. Like just at the, the, the setting aside of all cultural norms, all individual desires, he says it's all set aside for the sake of a relationship in Jesus. They, they are stooping, they're raising up, they're doing whatever, he says. And, and at the end, you see Christ just shine, that he is the one who unites us together, and there is beauty in it. There, for these people who have received him, are now calling others, like, receive him. Receive him, not so that you can say, oh, well, I had, you know, mac and cheese in a college dorm and I was 70. That's not the point. The point is the relationship that is founded in something much deeper. A relationship that is founded on a Christ who is the one who would save you both so that you can walk together no matter what. And you can serve one another in that relationship together. It is a relationship of stooping, a relationship of mercy, a relationship of coming alongside and saying, I, I would never do that ministry, but I want to support you and pray for you and be with you. That's what Christians do because of Christ, because we have received him. If you are the one who has, is for him, then you're going to be for his people. There's people, it's been said, you cannot say that you love Christ and you hate his bride. People who say, I can't go to church, I don't want to do church, the church hurt, church hurt me, I don't like the church, I can do my own thing. You, you cannot love Christ and hate his bride. They're one and the same. And the bride is messy. But Christ, through the entirety of our life as the bride, he is sanctifying us and purifying us. But he does it together in community. You are, you're if you try to do a solo Christian life, you will never be sanctified in the same way as if you were with others. It just won't happen. So that's what Christ is drawing us into and saying that as you receive him, you will receive others, unlike you. As you um, see others serving in his name, don't stop them. Pray with them. Support them. And then if you see others in need, extend mercy to them. Receive him before him, and as you belong to him, let it transform you in how you relate to those you would like to and those you wouldn't. And ultimately, those who are, as he says, those who are not for him, we don't discard them. Instead, we invite them in and say, this is still a mess, by the way, but come on in. Like, don't try to live your mess by yourself. Live it in community. Join us in this because this mess is not about us. It's not about our work, our reward even, because our, our reward is Christ, a life that is now with purpose now and forevermore because we have him. Because we're forgiven, we are changed. We are not a person who is full of judgment because we know that Christ had to be judged for us. He had to take all of our sin upon himself so that the judgment could be satisfied and God could look on us with love and, and mercy and tenderness because justice has been satisfied. Let this, as we receive that truth, as we receive him, as we are for him, as we belong to him, let it transform the way we interact with others in the exact same way. Even those who are not a part of him, receive them before them. And be merciful to them that you might call them into a relationship with the one who matters most. Let's pray. God, you are a God who 
is so holy and perfect. And your law is good and every single one of us disobey it. We're so broken. We're so sinful. And we need to be repaired. We're so thankful that Christ has come that when we trust in him, when we believe in him, when we throw our lives upon him, we might believe that he would truly take all of our sin and have dealt with it so that now we can have a new identity. We can be free indeed. And as we are free, as we are ones who have received you, as we are ones who are for you and who belong to you, we are asking for your help to have that transform us in how we interact with others. How we might take time for the lowly. How we might encourage those different. And how we might help those in need. God, we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.